0: This sermon begins in the summer of 1940, and most of you weren't alive. But uh, there was a battle raging over Britain as uh, Hermann Goring, the Nazi leader, was sending buzz bombs across the English Channel from uh, launching pads in France. And these things were coming over every hour. And are flying over London, and they get to London, and they go down and, and it explode and start fires and kill people. Random, just at random, it was, it was terrible. The, the uh, fear that went over England and Scotland and Wales at this, uh, this new uh, kind of warfare, And Winston Churchill had just become the prime minister, and he got on the BBC radio and did a strange thing. He quoted from the Psalm, Psalm 37. If you want to turn to it in your Bible, these are the words that he read. Fret not yourself because of evildoers, neither be envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Yes, you know, that's one of the most beautiful pieces of writing in, in all literature. That 37th Psalm, I say it over at night. When you get to be my age, you can't always sleep at night. And this is one of the psalms I've memorized. Beautiful thing. And when Shakespeare, pardon me, when Churchill quoted this verse, it had a remarkable effect upon the British people, from the Orkney Islands in the north to the island of White in the south. These people had been panicking, and all of a sudden, it seemed like a a great wave of peace went over the the nation, and the panic was replaced by a, a determination to carry the war and the battle to the enemy. It was a miracle, really. Don't worry about the evil doers. That's what the psalmist starts this psalm by saying. Remember, a lot of people in this century who threatened us. Some of you remember perhaps Hitler, Mussolini. I went in a uniform as a result of them. And uh, yet the ones that really scared us the most were the Soviets because they, they had the bombs. And they would come to the United Nations and they would threaten us. And we just we were terrified by these people, Stalin and Litvinov and Vyshynsky and Molotov and the head of the KGB, Berea, and then, of course, Khrushchev, who said to the American people, we will bury you. Well, where are they? Where are these people? They've been cut off like the grass and withered as the green herb. The Lord took care of them. And that's what this psalmist is saying. Fret not. Well, I did a lot of fretting when I was growing up. Because when I went to school, Berkeley High, <laughs> it was, uh, it was, it was a very uh, demeaning experience. I was small, puny, insignificant, and these Big f- athletes, you know, they attracted all the attention. You know what's happened to all those football players? They're all dead. <laughs> <laughs> and I went out into the world, and I, I picked up a few enemies, not many, but some. You know what happened to them? They're all dead too. Cut down like the grass, withered as the green herb. And I'm still here. Amazing. (laughs) Now look at the second verse. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shall you dwell in the land and verily you shall be fed. That's a good word. And that shows you what our duty is in life. We're to bring in the food and we're to take out the trash. We're to do our duty by our country and society and to God. And uh, those are the things that Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to do good works. That's what Christians are expected to do. We ought to do what's right, but, you know, there's not much fun in that. And that's not the gospel either. That's just what we're supposed to do. That's not living. That's existing. But now look at the fourth verse. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Now that happens to be one of the most important verses in the whole Bible. That is the pearl of great price for which you were looking. That is the treasure hidden in the field. That is what people want in life. Every action, every moment of your life, you are working for joy. and the bible says delight yourself in the lord and he will give you the desires of your heart now the bible also says we ought to love each other romans 13:8 and uh, i ask you why should we love each other is it because we are lovable <laughs> No, it's because God is love. God didn't create love. God is love. And we're to love because he told us to and because that is the way to joy. That and only that. Stop and think about it. Everything you want in life, when you get right down to it, You do, not for the thing itself, but for the joy that comes out of it. I have a son. And boy, this kid was a rough one to bring up. But you know, he's up there in the state of Washington now. He's a Christian. He's got a Christian wife and children. That is joy to me. That's what I brought him up for because he has brought joy to my heart. Now this verse, what I was trying to say about love was that you can have love without joy, and a lot of us do, but you can't have joy without love, and that's why love is important. In fact, I I used to think that love was the most important thing, and I used to preach on that. And I still do. I still think that love is the secret of happiness and all that. But you know, there's something beyond. Love brings joy. And that's where I am right now. This is a chapter out of one of my, out of the book I'm writing on that subject. And I'm asking you, what is it you are living for? What is it you want out of life? Is it money? Is it sex? Is it nice clothes? Is it uh, getting even with somebody? Is it uh, relief from pain? Is it travel? Is it a house trailer? A condo? It, no. These are only way stations. These are the only means to an end for you. On the way. To something that you really want. See, you know, we had some suicides over there in San Diego. About 38 people committed suicide. You know why they did that? They did it for joy. That's right. They thought joy was on the next level. The Heaven's Gate people. Weird? Of course it was weird. Where they are now? Who knows? They missed it. And a lot of people miss it. You try to get even with somebody. And after you get even with them, it isn't there. I remember the Count of Monte Cristo story in which this man was sent to the Chateau d'If just on his wedding day by four men who conspired. And he got out of there Finally, and went back and got every one of those four men. Then he went back to the woman that he was trying to marry when they kidnapped him. She said, I don't want you. You've given your whole life to vengeance, and there's no joy in it. And that's true. It's as simple as that. All the efforts that we make, working hard, and some of you people work real hard. All the money you save up, all the struggles you go through bringing up your children. What is it that we're secretly looking for in all of this? Well, it's joy. Not pride. Not vengeance. Not lust. Lust. Joy. That when we use the wrong means, we lose it all. Why? Because that is the way God made the universe. Now I'm going to take you back, way back to the creation. The Bible says some interesting things about creation. It says, The morning star sang together. Beautiful. The sons of God shouted for joy. Shout. The scientists think that the universe started with a big bang. No, it started with a big shout. <laughs> a shout of joy. See, God had a plan. Listen, if you want the plan, look at Revelation 4 and the 11th verse. I'll read it to you. Revelation 4:11. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. But that word, will, (coughs) you've got a King James Bible there? Who's got a King James Bible? What does it say instead of will? Pleasure. Thank you. It was for his pleasure that he created the universe. You got it? Not because he wanted to achieve something. Not because he was a great builder. He did it for his own pleasure. He did it because he wanted to do it. He did it for joy. And whatever you do, you're doing it eventually for your own pleasure and joy. And that's the way he created the universe. And he designed it all by clockwork. Beautiful. And then he took this planet. You see those pictures of Mars? What a mess there is over there. Well, look what we've got. Just beautiful planet. All oh, these sandy Mountains. They're gorgeous. And he made this planet. And he shaped it for us. And then he made us. Now, why did he do that? Why did he create us? For his own pleasure. He did it because he wanted to do it. Why else would he do it? But he made us special. He made us in his own image and likeness. And he put us in a garden. He put this beautiful man and this beautiful woman in a garden. And you know what he said? He said, enjoy yourselves. Take care of the garden and enjoy. What a magnificent way for him to start creation on this earth. What is it you're living for? What is it you really want in life? Well, I can tell you, you're going to get it when you find the joy. Talk about a purpose, they had it there in Garden of Eden. And then, I'm not going to tell you what happened. You know, you're a sinner, just like me. And there's a curse on this earth. You see it. All you have to do is read the morning paper. And you'll see it. Page after page. What happened? Our first parents got off track because they weren't looking for joy. Well, maybe they were, but they were looking for power and that's the wrong means to joy. You shall be as gods, they were told. You shall be, you shall have the knowledge of good and evil. That's not joy. You see, the joy was already there. And he blew it. And now the world is in a sad shape. We have this sin problem. And yet in all the midst of this sorrow and this pain and these wars that won't stop, God did not forsake us. He looked down in compassion on the human race. And he said, I'm going to help these people. He said, I'm going to send my son down there. And he will teach them what my original purpose was in creating them and creation. So he sent his son, Jesus, down from heaven, his only begotten son, whom he loved so dearly. And he knew that his son would suffer and die on our behalf and in our stead. But he sent sent him anyway. And Jesus walked the dusty roads of Palestine. And you know what was different about him? He had a smile on his face. Yes. Where did he get that smile? He got it from heaven, because heaven is a place of everlasting joy. And he brought it with him, and he came into Galilee, and he started preaching good news, the kingdom of God. And he says, what are you worried about? Look at the birds. Look at the flowers. He said, don't be anxious be of good cheer he said it's going to be all right well in our churches there are pictures of jesus why is it that the pictures and the and the icons and the statues never show him smiling you go to Rio de Janeiro, you'll see on the top of the mountain over the city a huge statue of Jesus with his arms outstretched. But he's not smiling. He looks very sad. When I read my New Testament, I find that Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit and joy. He said, I have good news I have glad tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Wouldn't you like to have been there in Galilee when he was preaching? Wouldn't you like to have stood there on the shore? Wouldn't you like to have taken out 747 and flown over to the airport in Nazareth and then just walked over the hills to the lake shore? And stood there on the edge of the crowd, and you found you could understand the language, and you said to somebody, what's going on? There's a man up there, and the funeral procession just went by, and he stopped it. And he went up to the casket, and he lifted the lid off the casket, and he told the man to sit up. And just about that time, there was another shout, another miracle. And that was Jesus. And you were on the edge of the crowd. And he looked out on that crowd and he spotted you. And he said, I want that person to come up here. And he told the crowd to part away so that you could get through. And he brought you up. And you came up there, and He reached out and took you by the hand. And He called you by the name His Father had given you. What would you think if that happened? Would you feel ebullience? Would you feel exuberance? Would you feel jubilation? Would you feel joy? Well, the Son of God is calling you today. Oh, if you'd been there, you'd have gone with him from place to place and he would have been your friend. Isn't that what you really want? He's calling you now. And he's saying to you, follow me. Jesus came to bring us joy. And it was for joy he went to the cross. Did you know that? Did you know that the... uh, Bible says it was for the joy that was set before him that he went to the cross. You know, this word, I don't know what's wrong, but none of the theologians ever can discuss joy. I can go to a theological seminary and go in and look at the library. Not a single book on joy. They, call, they talk about all the attributes of God, you know. He's invisible. He's uh, everything. And... They never mention joy. They never mention that God is a God of joy. They never mention that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Let's look at that verse again. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So you have certain desires, don't you? Yes, I want so-and-so to love me. I want to be transferred to another job. I want to get the money to go to college. The desire of my heart is to find someone who will marry me. The desire of my heart is for my family to love me. The desire of my heart is to do something with my life. Serve my country. Serve my God. How do you achieve that? You don't. You don't. Read this text again. There's nothing you have to do. Just delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give it to you. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to work for it. Oh, I know you have to work. But the joy. No, you don't work for that. That's a gift. That's a gift that Jesus came to bring us. Well, there was this young fellow who came on a radio call-in program that I was on in Colorado Springs two, three years ago. And he had a curious statement to make. He said, I became a Christian about a year ago, and I've been going to church, and I feel that there's a party going on, and I'm left out. <laughs> you know what he's talking about. He was talking about the 15th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. What's in the 15th chapter? The story of the prodigal son. And you'll find out in a moment why this applies to that young man. Because in this parable... And I want to emphasize that Jesus told this parable. There was this young fellow who had asked his father, demanded his inheritance. Now, he was entitled to one-third. His older brother was entitled to the two-thirds because he was the oldest son. And so his father gave it to him. And he went out to a distant country and he wasted it, just threw it away on drugs, on booze, on women. He became a beach bum, just a piece of trash. And he, well, there became a famine in the land is what happened. And uh, so he had to uh, find work. And he got a job with a farmer feeding pigs can you imagine a jewish boy feeding pigs <laughs> and so the the time came when he began to think about his dad he said you know the farmers the f- field hands in my father's ranch eat better than i do i'm going to go and I'm going to tell my father that I did wrong I am not worthy to be called his son anymore and I'm going to ask him to put me on as a field hand the Bible says he came to himself beautiful words when a young man a young woman comes to himself or herself glory hallelujah and they straighten out. I know, because it happened to my own son. And so this young fella went home. Drag- ragged clothes, hungry, barefoot, a mess. What was his father doing? Now, Jesus is telling this story. His father was watching for him, and he ran down the road to meet him. When he got there, what did he do? What's the first thing the father did? He kissed him. Yes, he kissed him, threw his arms around him. He must have smelled something awful. And then the father took a gold a new coat and put it around, and a gold ring and put it on his finger, and a pair of sandals on his feet, and marched him up to the house. And they called, and he said, "Kill the fatted calf. We're going to have a feast." Now, then Jesus said, he ordered the father ordered music and dancing, dancing, dancing. We don't allow dancing. <laughs> but Jesus said they called for dancing. I wonder, was it a sock hop or what was it? You mean it was mixed dancing? And then he called for merriment. M-E-R-R-Y. merry Good English word. Merry Christmas. Where is the merriment in the church? Jesus called. No, pardon me. Jesus said the Father called for merriment. E.M. Forster is, a, is an excellent uh, English novelist, and he uh, is not a Christian. And you know what he said. He said, Christianity has shirked merriment, shirked it. That's terrible. Merriment is a part of life. Why should the church shirk it? Why should the church refuse to enjoy life? Well, Jesus said he called for merriment. Now, when he talked about the Father, you know, of course, that he was really speaking of his heavenly Father, wasn't he? Okay. Well, where did he get the idea that uh, God would want music and dancing and merriment? Where would you get that? I'll tell you. <laughs> I don't know where. He- yes, I do know where he got it. He got it in heaven. That's what heaven is like. You'd better learn how to clap if you haven't learned, because you're going to do a lot of clapping when you get to heaven. It's going to be a a party. That's right. Heaven is, I don't know anything about it except that it's a place of joy. I don't even know if we will have hands to clap with. (laughs) But I do know there's going to be a lot of joy in heaven, because that's what heaven is, Joy. Well, it seems that the young fellow had an older brother. And this older brother was working up a sweat out there in the fields. And he came up to the house for a drink of water and heard this, What's all this music? What's this foot stomping I hear? And father came, spoke to him, said, Son, your brother's just come home. What? What? Is that why you killed the calf? Is that why you ordered all this music? That useless kid, that trash, that hippie running around with prostitutes. You never did anything like that for me. Here I've been out there in the field working my head off. I have my rights too. You, know, you sent me out there in that heat, and then you come and give a party for this thing? Brother. The father said, Son, it's all yours. It's all yours. Everything I've got is yours. Come join the party. <laughs> oh, no. No, no. It's not right. It's not just. He would be a fine one to talk about justice, you know. The Irishman that was dying, they said to him, you're going to have a just reward. He said, I want justice. I want mercy. That's what you and I need. It isn't justice we need, it's mercy. Life was never intended to be just. That's why God sent his son in mercy. We are not saved by justice. Our God is a God of mercy. And this boy you called in on the radio program said there's a party going on and I'm not in it. He was the elder brother. There are Christians today, substantial, office-bearing Christians, who have become elder brothers. I heard about one deacon, 60 years old. They said he was just as mean as he was when he was ordained 40 years ago. That man didn't realize what Francis Schaefer said. Now, Schaefer is a fine scholar, Christian. And he said something I don't dare to say. He said, God means Christianity to be fun. Is that what you're missing? I, some, one, I sometimes wonder whether the whole church is not the elder brother. And the whole world out there, all those balloon people and everybody, you know. Humanity is the prodigal, and Jesus tells this story about God the Father going out trying to get those people to, so that they will, he can forgive their sins and to bring them into the kingdom of joy. And we elder brothers sit back in the church and are party poopers. Well, they say Christianity is about suffering, not joy. But, and Jesus suffered and died on the cross, a terrible death. But who made him suffer? The religious people. We, in a very real sense, put a crown of thorns on his head. We punished him on the cross for something he didn't do. But Jesus didn't stay in that tomb. He came out on Easter morning, and the first person he saw was a woman, Mag- Mary Mary Magdalene. Matthew 28, 9, he said one word. <laughs> I, your Bible will translate it in very funny ways, which I'm not responsible for. But the word is, the Greek word is kyrete. I don't know what the original Aramaic word was, but I know what kyrete means. It means, oh joy. He, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the Father, where it's joy. Who made him a man of sorrows? Well, what about you? Are you going to join the party? Are you going to delight yourself in the Lord so that he can give you the desires of your heart? Do you have resurrection joy? Would you like it? This church can help you. Would you like to delight yourself in the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are your unworthy servants. We have missed the boat again and again. And yet you keep coming back to us. You've come back this morning and your Holy Spirit is here. And you're speaking to us. And you're saying, come and delight yourself in me. And I will give you the desires of your heart. Lord, we need that. Lord, bless this church. Make it a haven for Albuquerque to come to and find not just a pleasant greeting. Not just a whisper, but a shout of joy. God grant your blessing on this church, its pastors, its people. And give them yourself freely in the name of Christ, we pray.